Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you're joining us for the first time today, you're joining us, we're in on Sunday mornings, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. Genesis, a pivotal, foundational, vital, uh, every part of the Bible is vital, but there's, Genesis is a foundational book to the Scriptures, because here's the reality, especially the first 11 chapters of Genesis, if what is said in there is not true, then, then the rest of the Bible will crumble on top of that. This is the foundation of all of Scripture, and really the foundation of our faith. Where did we come from? We answered one of the messages, Genesis answers all the big questions that we're still asking some uh, thousands and thousands, millennia later that, that we're still asking. Genesis has those answers. And so we've been walking through this book verse by verse, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to take time for a review of where we've been. If you've missed any of the messages and you'd like to catch up, you can do so. We have our messages archived on our Facebook page, our church website, YouTube, podcasts, all the different ways, um, the podcast store, app stores, whatever, all of those spots for Apple and Android. You can do those things and catch up. But just really quickly, where we've been last, the last two weeks, we saw where sin entered this world, where Satan tempted Eve, and then um, Eve uh, tempted her husband, and they both partook and disobeyed, and that original sin in humanity, that sin that came upon earth, and and the curse that came from sin, we studied that, and then that was a pretty heavy message, and then last week, a really exciting message that where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. And God, yes, there were consequences to their sin, but we looked at two weeks ago the oldest tricks in the book from Satan, he's still using the same tactics um, in your life and in mine that he did in the garden. And then last week, we looked at the oldest grace in the book. And we saw from the very beginning pages of Scripture, Christ really pointing to the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that His Son Jesus would bring to earth. And uh, from the very beginning, Adam and Eve sinned. Yes, there were consequences, but he He did not leave them without hope. He did not leave them without a purpose. He did not leave them without love and without grace. And that's where we find ourselves. We're about to enter in our study this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going uh, to finish up the last couple of verses of Genesis 3 and then jump into Genesis 4. We're about to enter here a new chapter in humanity, in the history of mankind. Life in a new, broken world is about to begin. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week. Again, last week we saw God's great grace and kindness and and mercy to give Adam and Eve a new place and a new purpose in spite of their tragic sin. But we're going to look at Genesis 3, finishing up the last few verses, and then I'm going to ask you to follow along and walk with me through the first half of chapter 4 this morning. Genesis 3, we we finished in in verse 21 last week. Verse 22, picking it up, the Bible says, And the Lord God, so this is after He's made them coats of skins, after blood has been shed to cover their sin. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, 
Again, we see the doctrine of the Trinity here in the early pages of Scripture. Uh, Become as one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And, and so we see here, Adam and Eve are, for lack of a better term, being kicked out of the Garden of Eden, um, this perfect place that God had prepared for them, because they have eaten of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and now if they were to eat of the tree of life, and this is actually God's grace, because they're, they're, they, would, they would live forever with this curse of sin, and, and, and so he goes and he says, we, we're not going to have that, we've got to move them out, and then he, God set up his divine security guards, if you will, so that they would not come back. And I I believe that that was all there until Noah's flood, but we have that that, that was all there, and, and so they're, they're now out of, we have them in their new home with their new clothes in a new cursed land, and now their new life begins. That's where we find ourselves in chapter 4, verse number 1. Verse 1, would you read it aloud with me? Acts 4, verse, I'm in Acts, Genesis 4, we were in Acts for two and a half years on Sunday mornings. Genesis 4, verse 1, let's read it aloud. Ready? Begin. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten us a man from the Lord. I have gotten a man from the Lord again, a beautiful fulfillment of God's promise that Eve, your life is not over. In fact, even though that, that death has passed upon all men because of sin, you're going to bring forth life and the promise that from your seed is going to come the Redeemer, the Savior from the seed of man, and He will crush the head of the serpent. And so a beautiful picture here. And this is in some ways, I think, a reminder that there can be and there often are with God, there are great joys and blessings after seasons of deep pain and hurt and despair. It's not my message this morning, I don't need to spend much time here, but here's the reality. Human nature dictates that all of us are pretty myopic. Whatever's right in front of us is what we focus on. And if what's right in front of us is everything's great, then everything's great. And if what's right in front of us is not everything's great, then nothing will ever be great again. That can be our tendency. And this, and it's all through Scripture, but this is a reminder that there are joys and blessings after seasons of deep hurt and pain and even shame and regret and mistakes and failures. Verse 2, and she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Isn't this true that God makes all children differently? How many of you have multiple children or you're one of multiple children in the same family? Let me just see, either you're a sibling or you have. Can you testify? God made all of you very, now there might be some similarities, but you're very different. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. God made all of us the way He wanted. He gave us our giftings and those things. And parents, it's a good thing to celebrate and embrace the strengths and the interests and to try as you see where your child is bent and and kind of some of those giftings to push them toward that, to strengthen toward that, but to push them toward that, to use that in ways that are pleasing to God. And by the way, I think that's what Adam and Eve uh, tried to do. We're going to see it here in verse number 3. The Bible says in verse 3, and in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought out a brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth or angry, 
and his countenance fell. What, what can we infer from these verses here? I believe that we can infer that, that Adam and Eve had obviously taught their children that there was a God. They both brought offerings to the Lord. I believe that Adam and Eve both taught their children that there is a payment for sin. They both taught them that we must draw close to God. You need to take what you've been, you need to draw close to God, and you need to um, bring offerings or sacrifices to God. I don't think Cain and Abel just thought of this themselves. I think their parents taught them there is a God, maybe told them about their sin and how God had, had we tried to do it on our, on our own with fig leaves, but God killed an animal, and that was the offering, the covering that God accepted. He didn't accept the offering in our self-will and in our own selfish interests. And, and we see here that, that Adam and Eve obviously taught their children these things, that they needed a fellowship with God to bring an offering to Him. And Cain and Abel both brought things that were near to them and meant a lot to them. Adam, I'm sorry, Abel, who worked with animals, brought a firstling of the flock. Now, those that understand Scripture know that this is pointing toward acceptable sacrifices even before they had the Levitical laws and the Mosaic, all of those, the, the laws that came to the Israelites. Cain, he was a tiller of the ground. He, he was a gardener. He was a farmer. He brought an offering of what he had done. Here's the, here's the ironic thing. In some ways, probably Cain's offering was, had a little more effort behind it. It was probably a little harder. He had to work a lot harder to get his offering. Abel just made sure the sheep didn't die and let God do all the work. And what we see in this passage, Cain brought his offering to God. I believe he brought a wrong offering, and I also believe we'll see in the coming verses, not only was it a wrong offering, he brought it in a wrong spirit and in the wrong way. Cain's was an offering of self-worth, of I'm going to come to God the way I want to come to God. My works is what's going to save me. I'm going to do those things. In Jude, the book of Jude calls it the way of Cain. And Abel brought what, what was pleasing to God, and he did it in the right way. Cain's actually probably took more effort. It was probably harder to bring that offering. He had probably had more invested in his offering, but it was rejected by God. And may I stop again? This isn't my message, but may I stop and say right here, there are only two ways to approach God some 6,000 plus years later, by the way of the cross or the way of Cain. There are hundreds, maybe depending on how you, you identify it, thousands of religion systems of faith around the world. There are really only two systems of religion in the entire world. There are only two ways to come to God, and they're found here in the first opening pages of Scripture. You are going to come, try to come to God by way of the cross. It's not my effort. I didn't do it. It's you, God. I'm going to accept your payment. What Cindy did when she got baptized, she was identifying, I'm not trying to earn my way to heaven. I'm accepting Jesus' payment for me, or the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? I'm going to do it in my own strength. I'm going to do it with my own way. And by the way, isn't that what's at the heart of every false religion? Salvation by works. Now, the works vary. Sometimes the works are don't eat certain food. Other times the works are be a martyr to die for, for your prophet. Other times the works are uh, pray to, to uh, Mother Mary. Other times the, there are all different religions. Sometimes the works are have hundreds of gods and burn incense to them. There are all kinds of different works, but really all religions in the world boil down to two things. You are, it's do or done. You're trying to earn your way, works or Christ, the way of the cross or the way of Cain. 
And we see that from the beginning here. God did not accept the way of Cain. He only accepted that picture of the Lamb of God that would be shed, His blood would be spilled and would be killed for our sins. Cain's basic philosophy was that salvation had to be earned at the cost of one's own effort and toil. That same notion is at the heart of every false religion on earth. Look at verse 6, please. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? Again, rhetorical questions. God was not searching for information, much like he had done with, with Cain's parents in the garden. He's asking questions to get Cain to share his heart. Well, what, Cain, what's going on? Why, why are you so mad? Why, why, you ever see that with your, your wife? Like, you see something wrong in the countenance? Or you say, you say what's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing. Here's the tip. That means something, all right? When they say it that way, they, and God is asking, what's wrong? Why is your countenance fallen? Well, what's going on here? And again, I see here God's grace and patience with us. And, and I think in some ways God, and we'll see it in verse 7, God is saying, Cain, don't be angry. You haven't messed anything up too badly. Don't compound your mistake, Cain. Repent and respond with the right spirit. God is engaging Cain. He's confronting Cain's sinful attitudes. He's confronting Cain's sinful actions. And Cain has not done anything beyond repair yet. And God in His mercy and in His grace here in the midst of Cain's sin is coming and saying, what's wrong? Let's fix it. Look at verse 7. Would you read verse 7 aloud with me this morning? Ready? Begin. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him." And this is going to be our text verse, but God lays out a choice for Cain here. He says, Cain, it's not too late. You can get this thing right. You can get on the right path. You have a choice. He said, you can choose to do right and it will all get better, or he said, sin, he uses a picture, kind of an animal, sin is crouching at the door. You've got the door open, there's sin crouching there, and that sin is ready to pounce. If you choose to go your own way, you're going to bring a lot of hurt and pain and destruction into your life. He gives him a choice. Are you going to go my way, Cain, or are you going to go your way? And if you choose to go your way, sin is waiting there, and it's going to pounce. And if you let it in, it's going to be a constant battle the rest of your life. The same verbiage here, desire shall be unto you, is that verbiage we saw last week with Adam and Eve, where it's going to be a constant struggle in marriage, or maybe two weeks ago, because of the fall of man. They're, they're, men and women are going to be constantly fighting for who's in charge and authority, and that's going to be a constant struggle in relationships. We all want our own way. He said the same thing here. You're going to have a battle. If you let sin in, you're going to struggle with it for the rest of of your life, or you can follow me and let me give you victory. Verse 8, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother. So God gives him a chance to repent. Let's see what his response is. He talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. When I read the Bible, I try sometimes not just to rush through it, but to really sit down in the story and think about it. Think about from what we know, what we can tell, Cain was the first human born on earth. Adam and Eve, the joy, the blessing, God gave us a son, and he gave us another one. And somehow they found out the news that their one son had killed their other son. Think about the heartache, the pain, by the way. Think about probably, I'm just speaking humanly here, the guilt. Why was why was Cain capable of sin like this? Why had sin come into Cain's life? Because of choices the parents had made back in the garden. 
They were born with a sin nature because of, and it's a good reminder, parents. I feel like I have like six messages I could preach this morning from this passage. It's not my message either. But a good reminder, our choices do affect our children. The things with the choice, the paths we take do affect our children and our grandchildren. And we see here that, that this heartache here in verse number nine, and we're almost finished with our text, and then I'll, I'll give you the application. Verse number nine, uh, verse number nine, and the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? Again, a rhetorical question. What is Cain's first response to being confronted with his sin? Deceit and, and really kind of disdain. And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Imagine talking to God that way. What do I look like? Am I his babysitter? It wasn't my day to watch him. What do I know? And look at what God says in verse number 11 and verse 10. And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. That sin we think is hidden comes back to bite us, doesn't it? Verse 11, and now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Verse number 12, when thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Cain, I tried to tell you, you have two choices. If you do well, it will be good. If you don't, sin is crouching at the door. And what a terrible consequence of sin. That one that was a tiller of the ground, that was his passion, that was his life. Now God says the ground isn't going to yield the those things, you're, you're not going to have a green thumb anymore. You're going to be like some of the people in this church that try to keep plants alive at home, and they die every time. That's going to be your life, but that's their career, all right? So, so it's a little different when the plant in the corner dies, and when this is your passion, there's consequences to Cain's sin. Verse 13, and Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. We often fail to think about where our choices will lead us, don't we? It's too much, God. I can't handle this. And I'm not trying to be, Cain, you should have thought about that when God gave you the chance to pick the right path. We don't think about where our decisions are going to lead us five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road, do we? It's just what feels good today. It's just the passion today, the emotion today, the anger today, the lust today, the, the selfishness today, the greed today. We don't think about where that's going to lead. It's too much, God. And I do love this, as I mentioned last week, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Even in the midst of Cain's wicked, evil, vile act, God is still a God of mercy, and he shows it here. Look at verse number 14. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. God, I can't do it. I don't, I'm not going to have anywhere to live. Everyone's going to be trying to kill me. Verse 15, and the Lord said unto him, therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. What do we see? see here in the, 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 the God is rich in mercy, plenteous in grace, long-suffering. Yes, Cain, there are consequences to your sin, but I, I, I will still have a measure of protection about you. I'm not going to let you be killed. I'm not going to let you get what you probably, humanly speaking, deserve. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. I'm going to give you what you didn't give your brother Abel, love and mercy and grace and protection and life. What a God we serve. But in, in the middle of the story, there are four simple words that could have changed everything for Cain. Tragic story, isn't it? Probably, very likely, according to what we know, the first two boys born on earth, brothers. We don't know how far apart they were. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve had a lot of kids, so they were probably pretty close together. 
They grew up playing together, laughing together, having fun. Abel was always bringing home a stray cat. Cain was always bringing in some fresh gardens from the vegetables. They had dinners together, all this stuff. And what a tragic story that Cain's self-will, Cain's sinful nature led him to murder his own brother. And there are four words in the middle of this passage that would have changed everything for Cain. It would have changed his family history. It would have changed his future, his kids, his marriage, his parents. It would have changed his brother's life and future. Before he had made an irreversible choice, God confronted him with four little words that could have saved him decades of heartache. Would you read the first four words of verse number seven? And it's my message this morning. The first four words of verse 7, would you read them aloud? Ready? Begin. If thou doest. One more time. If thou. One last. I said one more time. I lied. One more time. If thou. King James English, we don't really talk like that. If thou doest well. What is God saying? If you'll just do right, Cain, your life's going to be so much easier. If you'll just follow my plan, you'll save yourself so much anguish. Cain, I'm stopping you now before you go too far. Cain, it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to live with bitterness. You don't have to live with anger. You don't have to make this decision that's going to break apart your family. You don't have to make this decision that's going to affect your career. You don't have to make this decision that's going to affect where you live, that's going to affect your kids and your grandkids. We're going to see it next Sunday on VBS Sunday. Cain, the line of Cain, we're going to learn some things from his lineage. It doesn't have to be this way. God him, if thou doest well, Cain, if you'll just follow my plan, if you'll surrender your self-will to my will, life will be so much better for you. What was Cain, God saying to Cain here? God was saying this, just do right. You've got a choice, Cain, just do right. That's my message this morning. Three words, just do right. You know what I've found in 22 years of vocational ministry and nearly seven years as the lead pastor here at Liberty? So much of the life of the pastor is pleading with people, just do right. And by the way, pleading with myself, just do right, make the right decision. And then watching many people like Cain choose their own way and seeing them go in a path where sin is crouching at the door and saying, just do right, life would be so much better. Don't let that in. Be careful of that association. Don't let that addiction form. Don't don't, don't start skipping church there. Don't make that your priority. Don't neglect your family. Don't neglect your marriage. Don't do those things. Just do right watching them, like Cain, choose their own way, and then trying to help them. And it's what we're here for, and I love doing it, but trying to help them pick up the pieces from their foolish, sinful choices. I don't have an outline today. I don't have three points. I just have three words from the first account of life outside the Garden of Eden. Just do right. My message in 2022 is the same as God's plea to, to Cain thousands and thousands of years ago. If thou doest well, just follow my plan, Cain. Just follow my word, Cain. Why do you think you have to come up with your own way? Just do what you were taught. Just do what the word says. Just do what is right. Cain, sin is crouching at the door. It's ready to pounce. It's ready to tear into your life. It's ready to leave scars. It's ready to open up wounds. It's ready to do that. But if you do well, it's It's going to be so much better for you. Shalt thou not be accepted? The idea, your your life is going to get so much better. 
Your life will be so much easier. Cain, your choices have consequences. Just do right. Church family, God's plan is always the best plan. Just do right and follow Him. Every, I read this week, every decision you make is like sending out an invitation. With every choice, you are inviting a consequence into your life. So don't be surprised when the guests start showing up. You invited them. Every choice we make, we're sending out an invitation. What kind of consequences are we bringing back into our lives? If you do well, you're going to be really glad. And if you don't, sin's crouching at the door ready to pounce. What consequences are your choices inviting into your life today? I want you to ask yourself that. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Just do right, Cain. Here's the truth. All of us, all of us, all of us could save ourselves, our children, our spouses, our loved ones, our parents so much heartache, so much pain, so much tears, so so much trouble if we would just heed the admonition to just do right. Elementary age child, just do right. When your parents ask you to do something, obey them right away and do what they ask to the best of your ability with a great attitude. Say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, instead of always talking back and disobeying. Honor them with your actions and with your attitude. Just do right. Young children, when you're playing with your siblings and you're tempted to steal that toy or punch that kid or get mad or get angry or scratch or claw, just do right and in honor, preferring one another. As you grow older, you'll be so glad that you learned how to, how to deal with siblings in a proper way, because guess what? The rest of your life is going to be dealing with people that you get frustrated by. Just do right. Let them play with that toy. Reflect the love of Christ. Serve them. Speak words of encouragement, not words of insult. Build them up, your siblings, your family, your parents, instead of tearing them down. Just do right. Middle school child, just do right. Don't disconnect from your parents and your spiritual leaders during these important years of transition in your life. Your body's changing. Your mind is changing. Society's changing. You're starting to learn some different things, and, and your mind's being open to different things. Don't, don't, the, the world tells you the older you get, the less you should have your parents in your life. No, no, no. No, the older you get, the more let them speak into your life. Let them pour into your life. Seek counsel from them. Don't go to your peers or to the internet or online for all of those answers. Listen to them. Instead of spending all of your time playing video games or watching TV or playing on your phone or obsessing over social media, learn the joy of practicing a musical instrument, reading a book, working out physically, spending time in the Bible, helping around the house, laughing together, praying together, growing together. If you've allowed some bad influences in your life, whether in real life, online, or anywhere else, seek help right now before that sin gets, it might have a foothold in your life right now, but if you leave it there, it'll have a stronghold in your life. Satan wants to get a toehold so he can get a foothold and it becomes a stronghold, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Middle school student, just do right. Your older self will thank you. You'll be so glad that you didn't get involved in some of those things, and you didn't warp your mind in some of those ways, and you didn't create appetites and desires that you can never fulfill in God-honoring ways. Just do right. High school student, just do right. When some in your peer group are making sinful, destructive choices, go against the grain. When they're experimenting with their sexuality, choose to follow God's plan, keeping your mind and your body pure, following God's plan for marriage. You'll be so glad you did down the road. When some are trying alcohol or other substances for the first time, choose to stay away from those parties and those people, keeping your younger self from forming addictions and desires for things that your older self will struggle for years or decades to overcome. Just do right. 
Think about what you're filling your mind with. Online, through music, YouTube, TikTok, and the list goes on. And choose to put godly, productive things in instead of foolish, destructive things. When classmates have no time for God or church services, instead filling all their time with play, pleasure, and other activities, make a commitment to be faithful to God's house, growing in Him during these vitally important and formative years. Just do right. What is God saying to Cain? It's not too late. You, you started down a bad path here. This is not what I accept. This is not how you come to me. But Cain, it's not too late if thou doest well, single adults, just do right. Instead of viewing dating from our culture's perspective as someone that you take out for a test drive, or someone that exists solely for your selfish, fleshly pleasure, view every friend and every potential mate, every potential dating partner as a person made in the image of God, loved by their Creator and their family, and treat them with the respect that you would want your son or daughter or brother or sister treated. Just do right. Date right, marry right, live right, while others are your age are viewing these years as years of experimentation and selfish fulfillment. View these years as important years of spiritual development, where you're laying a foundation for the life you will live in the future. Don't stray from God when you get out of high school. Don't treat church casually because now you control your own schedule. Don't buy into the lie that what you do during these years doesn't matter. Just do right. If you do. You'll be accepted. What it means is life's going to be so much better. If you don't, sin's crouching at the door ready to devour. What does the Bible say about Satan? He's as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Sin's crouching at the door. Young married couple, just do right. Don't buy into society's lie about what your priorities should be. Newlywed couples, we're, we're led to believe, especially in our Western culture, that our most important priorities at that age are financial, getting a good financial foundation, building our careers, buying a house, finding the right job, even if it's at the expense of our spiritual relationship with God, our involvement in the church. None of those things, careers and finances and houses are bad, but they can be if they take a wrong place in your priority list, and the choices you make in your 20s will affect your children 20 and 30 and 40 years later. Just do right. Just as in every other stage of your life, your young married stage, your most important priority should be your relationship with God. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. You need Him. Don't drift away from church, young couples. We need you. Plug in, serve, worship, give. I'm so glad that as a newly married couple, Tiffany and I sought to make God and His Word and our involvement in His work some of our highest priorities. We weren't making decisions at that time for us, first and foremost, based on our income or our earning power or where we would live. It was more about, God, where do you want us to serve you? How do you want us to live for you? And I can tell you, I don't know what my earning power might or might not have been if I had chosen another path, but I can tell you now with two of our five children having graduated from high school, number one, I've been young, as the psalmist said, and now I'm old. I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. I can tell you, in 22 years of marriage, God has taken care of every physical and financial need we've ever had. And I can tell you, I don't regret any of the priorities that we gave to the work of God and to the Word of God and to the house of God in our 22 years of marriage. I don't care what that might have looked like in my portfolio. That stuff doesn't matter when your kids start leaving your house. That, that the stuff that matters is that spiritual foundation. God took care, by the way, of all those other priorities. Seek ye first. He said He would, Matthew 6. Do we really believe Him? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, material, fleshly, earthly things, 
shall be added unto you. Trust me, seek me, I'll take care of the stuff you need. As kids come, just do right. Don't buy into society's pressure that you have to have your children involved in every possible extracurricular activity at the expense of plentiful family time and healthy family rhythms. You want to know what one of the most productive, healthy, important extracurricular activities you can commit your child to being involved in? You might want to get a pen out if you have young children. Write this one down. Family dinners around the table. I know I sound like an old person, but you know for our family, it's been one of the greatest ways for us to stay connected. We talk to each other, we hear what's going on, we hear what's happening in their lives, we laugh together. Sometimes we'll play games afterwards, we'll go for a walk and get ice cream or go get a boba. And, and by the way, if you fill every night of your life with something, you can't have that plentiful quality time. That time. And so, Pastor Ryan, is it more important when you're raising kids to have quality time or quantity time? Yes. Both. And I'm all for sports. I coach sports. My kids love sports. We play sports. But be careful that God of sports, that God of extracurricular, that God of music lessons, that God of tutors, that God of education, that God of all of those things can, for 18 years, we lose our children. We lose the opportunity to invest, to get to know them, to spend time together, drown out all the outside noise, put away the devices, just sit down and listen to each other. If you're not used to doing that, it might be hard. You might have to have some questions ready. Play a game when dinner ends. Our family, we try to have meals, family meals together three to four times per week. And there are some rare busy seasons where everybody's going every which way and that doesn't happen. But I would say out of 52 weeks, there's probably 40 to 45 of them that we hit that goal. And that's hundreds of times a year, hundreds of hours a year that we're getting to know each other. We did it last night. Brian Maines was over at our house and we ate in the backyard around a table. My wife made some taco salad and we laughed. We talked about their day and we talked about the job they were doing. We were talking about different things in school and basketball. And remember this memory, those things are way more important than so many of the things that we prioritize. That's been for us our rhythm for 20 years as parents, and we have no regrets on what we or our kids might have missed because of that. If it's been weeks since your family has sat down together, something needs to change. It's okay to say no to that sports league if it's keeping you from time at church or time with your family. It's okay to find a new job if it's keeping you from your most important priorities as a Christian, a parent, a spouse, a church member. Your child will be okay if they can't learn every musical instrument, be an Olympic-level swimmer, speak three languages, know how to develop apps, and get a deal on Shark Tank by fifth grade. They'll be okay. I don't regret certain programs or leagues or opportunities we said no to in order to say yes to our family priorities. Well, my kid won't qualify to be accepted into that college if they go to a small Christian school like that. Number one, that's not true. I just mentioned we have two young people, one at Johns Hopkins, one in the Naval Academy. They're doing okay. It's really more about the kid and their hard work. And yes, the school can help, but number one, that's not true. Secondly, forgive me for not being worried if my kids will get accepted into a college that I'm going to pay a quarter of a million dollars for for four years to tear down and attack everything I've tried to teach and instill in their lives for the last 18 years from God's Word. I know it's a little bit of a hobby horse, and it's a little different message for me, but, but parents, think about your priorities. Just do right. Middle-aged couples, just keep doing right. Your race isn't run. I'll preach about that tonight. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul, what I believe, the man that wrote more books of the Bible than anyone, I, I'm going to pull out what I believe is his greatest statement. We're going to look at Paul's greatest statement tonight. But your race isn't run. Your kids need you to keep doing right when you feel like it and when you don't. When God's plan makes sense and when it doesn't. When things are going well and when living for God hurts. 
know what I've learned as I'm now a middle-aged couple? Number one, I don't view myself that way, but I, I guess my birth certificate says I am. That's the first thing I've learned is people think I'm, that kids view me as older than I am. Like, I'm, I'm still cool, Jay, right? But I'm really not, but that's all right. You know what I've learned? You know, I've learned this season of life, you start off idealistic. You first get married, man, this, we're going to have the best life ever, happily ever after, fairy tale, Prince Charming. You know, I've learned by the time you get into your late 30s, mid 40s, you know, I've learned for all of us, life doesn't go all the ways you expected it to go. Kids don't make all the choices you expected them to make. Careers don't follow all the trajectories you expected them to follow. You know, I've learned there's a reason they call midlife crisis. You know what I've learned? All of a sudden, you can start to feel like, what does it matter? I tried all of that, and this is what happened. Just do right. When you're tempted to flirt with that coworker, just do right. When you feel like responding in anger, just do right. As your children grow, they need to see your Christianity remain steadfast and consistent. As they begin to make choices on their own, they need to see you be steady and faithful. Don't make a, a, a major decision, a life-changing decision in a moment of hurt or anger or emotion. Life will bring unexpected circumstances and challenges in this season. In the midst of those, just do right. Older believers, finish right. If you're alive, God isn't done with you. It's not time to stop growing. And stop praying, stop loving, stop giving, or stop serving. If you're in your 70s, 80s, 90s, God, if you're alive, God's not done. Keep doing right. You need the church. The church needs you. The Bible says older women teach the younger. Older men teach the younger. We need you to pour into us. We need you to teach us your wisdom. We need you to show us the ways of God. Don't make it this far and then burn out. Don't make it this far and then flame out. No, just do right. If you have adult children, they need you to do right, even if they don't know it. If you have grandchildren, they need you to do right. Your church family needs you. Your pastor needs you. Young couples need you. No matter what age or stage we find ourselves in, we would save ourselves so much heartache. We would save our loved ones so many tears. We would save the pain of so much regret, and we would live with such, so, so many far fewer scars if we would just learn to do right. And by the way, what does that mean, Pastor Ryan? Most of us, if you don't know, let's, I'll meet with you weekly for an hour or two, and we'll go through the Bible. Most of us know the basics of what doing right is. Faithfulness to God, time in His Word, purity of influences coming in, music, entertainment, media, not, not, not treating people with anger or selfishness or greed or dishonesty. When churches, when we're having church, we show up and we go to church. When, it, when we're serving, we jump in and serve other people. We don't just live selfishly for ourselves. We know what that means. Just do right. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? I close with an illustration from Disney. Our families enjoyed many Disney and Pixar movies through the years. And I'll be honest, there are a couple recent ones that, that I've told our family we're not watching in our house because of some of the overt, unbiblical agendas and things. But we've enjoyed a lot of, of Disney and Pixar movies. I, I've often joked, people ask, have you seen this movie? I said, if it came out in the last 20 years and it's not by Disney or Pixar, probably not. That's basically been what's been on our house for the last 22 year, 20 years since we had a kid. Tiffany and the kids will often tease me because I will see deeper themes and truths in some of the movies. I'll watch them and I'll be like, that was powerful. Did you see that when, when she did this and that, that? That's, man, over in Romans, it talks about that. And, and like, they're like, dad, no, that's not what they were doing. I said, no, it's awesome. 
I literally, after we watched Wreck-It Ralph the first time, I said, I wasn't a pastor yet, I don't think, I was an assistant pastor, and I said, I could preach a whole series from that movie. I, I don't know that that should be my source material, but I, I, it was like, there's some really powerful, powerful themes there that, that are scriptural, some of them. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about that. Well, now is my chance. My oldest daughter's out of town. She's in, at church in San Diego right now anyway, so that's one less to make fun of me. There probably aren't too many pastors this morning, that, this week, who are studying, and as part of their study, they went to listen to a Disney song. Not many who received their inspiration from this character for their Sunday morning message. There she is. Anybody know who that is? That's Anna from Frozen 2. Some of you old folks need to get with it, all right? <laughs> Anna and her sister Elsa. But as I was pondering this message, I kept thinking about a song from that movie. In the movie, actually, I thought of it on Tuesday night when our guest pastor's wife was here, and she made the statement that is the title of this song. I'm not going to play the song. You can go listen to it if you want, but I'm, I'm going to read some of the lyrics. You want me to sing it? No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> At this portion of the movie, Anna is struggling deeply with what direction to take in her life. The circumstances of life have her really struggling, and she's struggling, what direction am I going to take? Am I going to keep going down the dark path I've been going, or am I going to choose a different path? In this moment, it's the darkest moment of the film. Anna is faced with uncertainty about what to do next after apparently she, she believes she's lost her beloved sister Elsa, as well as Olaf the snowman. By the way, in terms of make-believe cartoon tragedy, it doesn't get much worse than losing the universally loved Olaf. I mean, just look at him, all right, folks? So. You can imagine the pain she was feeling. And I want you to listen to these lyrics. She said, I've seen dark before, but not like this. This is cold. This is empty. This is numb. The life I knew is over. The lights are out. Hello, darkness. I'm ready to succumb. The grief has a gravity. It pulls me down. But a tiny voice whispers in my mind, you are lost. Hope is gone. But you must go on. Here it is and do the next right thing. Can there be a day beyond this night? I don't know anymore what is true. I can't find my direction. I'm all alone. The only star, speaking of Elsa, her sister, that guided me was you. Here she says, just do the next right thing. Take a step, step again, it's all that I can do. The next right thing, I won't look too far ahead, it's too much for me to take, but break it down to this next breath, this next step, this next choice is one that I can make. So I'll walk through this night, stumbling blindly toward the light, and do the next right thing. I understand that's written from, uh, undoubtedly from secular humanistic viewpoints, and she says, I don't know where to turn, but how much more those of us that do know where to turn. Those of us that do have guides when our darkness and we feel like we're going to succumb to where we're at and we don't know what to do, what a great message. What do we do in those moments? Just do the next right thing. I'm forgetting the phrase right now, but, but Eugene Peterson, who passed away, he, he said something, the Christian life is one, something along the lines of one long arc of obedience toward God. And I'm, I'm getting that wrong. I should have looked it up and just came to my mind. But a beautiful passage of what is life? How do we make sure we live a life that's pleasing to God every day we wake up and do the next right thing? 
and you're faced with a choice, teenager, am I going to go this way or that way? Do the next right thing. Well, what am I going to miss out on? Where's that going to lead me? What college? What, what mate? What kids? What job? Forget about all of that. Do the next right thing. Just do right. If, if a humanistic secular company can, can sing that and, 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 and say that message, how much more should we as believers just do the next right thing? We do know what to do. She said, I don't know where to turn. We do know where to turn. We have a guide that tells us. We don't just have a head in our voice, a, a voice in our head like Anna. We have the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the guide, the convictor that lives within us. We have a friend that sticks closer than a brother then why do we often make such terrible decisions in our seasons of loss and uncertainty? Just do the next right thing. Hey, Cain, you want to avoid a lifetime of fear as a vagabond and a fugitive? Just do right. Surrender to God. Repent of your sinful ways. Stop living in your self-will. Stop thinking you know better than God. Stop thinking I've got to put God into my box and let God conform you into His image. You might not know what the future holds, single adult, but just do the next right thing. You may be at a loss for how this is all going to shake out, young couple, but just do the next right thing. Just do right. And this can sound a little bit like a self-help message, and I want to stop and say that none of us have the strength in our own, and I'll be done. You've listened well. None of us have the strength in our own, in our own flesh, to do the right thing on our own. That is why we need a Savior. That is why we need the gospel of Christ. It's why we saying that song, if we're going to do the right thing, it's not I, but Christ through me. It's why we need more time in His Word, not less time. It's why we need more time in church, not less. It's why we need more Christian music in our lives, not less. It's why we need to memorize more Scripture, not less. It's why we need to surround ourselves with more godly friends, not less. Why? Because we, we're not going to do the right thing if we're left to our own devices. The, the heart of man is deceitful. It's wicked above all, all things. Who can know it? We can not know our own heart. Our flesh is weak. Paul said, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't. You're sitting, you're saying, Pastor Ryan, I agree with what you're saying. I want to do right, but in the darkness of those moments, the temptation is just too strong. You're never going to get victory on your own. Reach out to godly friends. Get in God's Word. Thy Word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy Word. Get more of God and more of His Word, and guess what happens? The Holy Spirit renews the mind. It transforms the mind. It changes appetites. It changes desires. And you're never going to be able to do the right thing, no matter what your age is, without the help and the strength of the Spirit of God and the Word of God working in your life. So yes, just do right, and it could sound like Tony Robbins could give that speech to a, to a stadium somewhere, but the difference is it's not in our own strength that we just do right. It's in the power of Christ. Cain, if thou doest well, if thou doest well, you'll be accepted. Life's going to be good. It's not always going to be easy, but it's going to be much easier than being a vagabond and a fugitive the rest of your life that can't, that can't use any of his skills. Cain, if thou doest well, you'll be so glad that you did. Your kids will thank you. Your grandkids will thank you. Your unborn nieces and nephews from Ab Ab Abel's marriage that hadn't happened, they'll thank you. Your parents will thank you. If you'll just do right, you'll be so glad that you did. But if not, 
sin's crouching at the door. And if you let it in, the more you let it in, the bloodier it gets, the harder the battle, the more scars, the more regrets, the more pain, the more consequences, and sometimes there are things like killing your brother that you can never take back, Cain. Just do right. What area of your life, if you're to be honest, you know, God said if, you have this choice, self-will, selfish pleasure, God's plan. Be honest, you've been heading down this road today. Let's turn around. That's what the word repent means, to do a 180, to turn around. Let's turn around. Let's repent. And let's just do right. I promise you, nobody has cried. Nobody, nobody, 22 years of vocational ministry, the church I came from had an average Sunday morning attendance of 2,500 people. This church has, on a, on a Sunday morning, somewhere around 600 people. I've worked in vocational ministry literally with tens of thousands of unique people. Not one person has ever called me crying, saying, I need to meet with you right now. I just did right. <laughs> Can you help me pick up the pieces? I just followed God's word. Not one. You've been in ministry longer than me. Ever had that call? And I'm not against it. I want you to call. It's what, what we do. It's why we're here is to try to help people. But I've had many a call. Pastor Ryan, can't we meet? I don't know what I've done. I don't know how I'm going to get through this one. This one's, I don't, I don't know how, how we're going to fix that. Just do right. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.